Hey, Sarah. So looks like you got the, you got the invitation again. <laughs> yeah, I did. Do you need me to? Uh, do you need to like get Wes on a call? And what I attempted to do is to send the invitation via text message this time to both of you. So it was a new method for both. And I was hoping that would come through on Wes's phone, but I'm not sure what's happening. Exactly. You sent it. You sent there it he is. To me. There he is. All right. Oh. Right. Okay. <laughs> we can start. We can start this for real now. So welcome back to Potter's Pockets, episode 11. Um, uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And um, for those of you listening, we're going to have quite a few outtakes episodes appended <laughs> to the end of this one because apparently not only Ron's wand is uh, sort of broken. And messing with his ability to use magic, but technology with us, we like the students at Hogwarts have not yet mastered uh, the technology completely. And sometimes we are at the mercy of it completely, not understanding its forces. And so we have had an odyssey getting Mr. Wesley's chance on here. It's so we been, are. It's been very a, ro a, a rogue app. Um, yeah, well, the direct link seemed to work. All right. So here we go. It's almost as if. It's almost as if a member of the party were petrified and mm -hmm. we had to apply <laughs> one some mandrake potion in order to bring him back. And so we developed our own sort of smaller or like uh, self-contained connection in pursuit of bringing you back into the fold and into the party. And we've been successful and we're now restored and stronger. Like sort of sort of like the idea you you put forward in your your episode on bookworm games today on earthbound and that being a part of a party with people and engaging in a shared narrative towards a shared goal seems to strengthen each member in the party that it's that it's not that one person benefits but all sort of like all the dwarves and bilbo and the hobbit and sort of like harry and his friends which is what's so ridiculous about ron getting jealous of harry because of course the light of harry adds to the light of ron um, because he is, of course, the friend of the famous one, which does make him famous, if even if not as famous. And and perhaps that's what we're doing here in our conversation, as we, like when we were kids, would talk with walkie-talkies about whatever it was that we dreamed about <laughs> in the future. We now have the even better, the super walkie-talkies that allow us to I record know. our thoughts that we have with each other for, uh, in a way that perhaps will last until, as far as we can uh think it the end of time somewhere in the ether yeah yeah all right on and so perhaps this is hogwarts and so just to get down to it there were four topics that we really wanted to talk about today plus probably more bins professor bins history of magic professor extraordinaire is finally interrupted first time seemingly ever and so we'll talk about that we're talking about also um how dumbledore Ha has a secret chamber at the top of the castle in the same way that there is a chamber of secrets with a snake in the bottom of the castle. Mm. Sort of like a figure of Odin on the tree Yggdrasil, the father god at the top, and the Midgard serpent at the bottom, at the roots. And so perhaps a, a commentary on the reflection of that which is uh, high and above and that which is low like the old um uh greek poem heaven above heaven below stars above stars below suggesting that uh the macrocosm is reflected in the microcosm the divine and man and um and well 
such so on and so forth. Um, we wanted to talk about the rogue bludger too, and prayer. And I had suggested potentially in our pre-talk that that was maybe the ability of negative public attention or negative public opinion to actually physically affect or negatively affect one's life. And then, uh, of course, uh, we have to talk about our resident, most famous person alive for uh, being the best at everything ever, Mr. Gilderoy Lockhart. And um, his, uh, his sort of ability to disarm even the the best of students. And so we'll have to talk about that too. So welcome back y'all too. All right, good to be here. Yeah, good to have you, Mr. West Chance. Good to have you. It was almost as if you were the one who was being uh, targeted by the rogue bludger in this case. Um, and so, yeah, well, the, yeah, go on, I'm sorry. The, the rogue bludger uh, connects to the, um, the the loss of Harry's um, bone entirely there, and mm. so I was curious if you could maybe explain a little more how that idea about negative public opinion would then lead into the complete lack of bone structure whatsoever. <laughs> if you want to run with that for a minute. All right. So okay, I I have one thought and I have another thought, and we'll see if I can connect them at all. That'll be real magic if I can. But the one is that I I thought that. Um, the rogue bludger represented pub negative public opinion because, for one, Harry is actually experiencing negative public opinion as people tar start to suspect him of being um, the heir to Slytherin, uh, potentially. Yeah. There are circumstantial, uh, there's circumstantial evidence that is starting to mount against him. Um, he's there with Mrs. Norris the cat. Uh, the Finch Fletchley guy is, uh, doesn't like him and feels targeted by him. This will come a little bit later, but we did read it for this time. And then he shows up petrified. And then we find out that, um, and Harry finds out too, that he is a parcel mouth and means he can speak parcel tongue. And so he's, he's and, and the sorting hat tells him he would have done great in Slytherin. And so there's really a, a, a lot indicating that he's potentially the next Voldemort and is doing this, these evil deeds at the castle. And, it, that, and so part of, I think, the magic of this text is it conveys to us just the meaning of a situation through getting us to identify with an emotive response. Uh, how would we feel in that situation? Like we were getting hit or knocked out of the air, like we were picked out unjustly for something we hadn't done and that it could, would actually um, diminish us to such a point that it were as if we were disarmed or incapacitated in some way. And, uh, I know that sounds sort of abstract, but something we know from um, work on social animals is that humans as social animals exist within um, dominance hierarchies and that if you find yourself on the lower end of one, you actually tend to have worse health problems than those at the top. In fact, it's a well-known fact in, in medicine that when uh, the rich get a cold, I guess is the expression, the poor get pneumonia. And that's not simply, and I mean, that does have to do with access to care and things like that. But what that boils down to is that your social status is actually directly connected to your physical well-being. So the idea that Harry's once glittering gold famous status would get tarnished and that that would have a physical effect on him, I think is a symbol for what actually happens in life. Uh, is my first thought. So does if that sounds crazy, let's not move forward at all. But <laughs> well, 
it's just interesting how it turns out this bludger is um bewitched by dobby again right dobby ah, strikes again. yes very good and it's and it's because it's because that it's harry being the person that he is the famous and beloved of all the downtrodden um that dobby has done this nefarious uh mm. bludger um bewitchment and so so it's interesting right on the one hand harry's at the top of the hierarchy and is being attacked for that very reason mm. on the other hand he's like you know he collapses into the mud and then has gilderoy lockhart tap his arm and his bones are gone so it's like he gets kind of the double whammy there uh and and uh dobby is you know um very distraught about this as well right like that mm. that on, on, on the one hand dobby looks up to harry to no end but on the other hand dobby is clearly capable of um doing some serious magic which is beyond uh the ken of his hero harry potter right so it's like mm. It's very strange to me how how Dobby uh, can look up to him so much and yet can um, do whatever he wants to him. On the other hand, right? It's 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 very interesting the 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 house elf magic that we see working here. That is very interesting, Miss Sarah Miller. What do you think about that? I'm I'm. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I, I take your point about how um, you know we've seen Harry's reputation get a little bit sullied i mean at the point where the rogue bludger happens he hasn't been accused of attacking justin he doesn't know anything about his parcel mouth except um that he hears voices um but um can talk to that one boa constrictor yeah so there's like (laughs) a little bit of that um before the game oliver wood did put like an enormous amount of pressure on him to win like catch the snitch or die trying Mm -hmm. so you know i guess one way of reading it symbolically is he's being targeted by these incredible expectations expectations by the way that dobby also has of harry yeah um i would also say that the way that the weasley brothers speak about the bludger you know as the beaters on the team um they do they're the first ones to know that to notice that it's being it's been bewitched um Ah. and um you're right? just giving like, me a good thought. Yeah, so like Harry's not Harry's just like running away from it. I think he thinks it's <laughs> weird, but I don't think he knows enough about Quidditch. I mean, he's good, but I don't think he understands it enough to know. They're like, huh, this shouldn't be happening. And if he does, he's certainly not not the one to complain about it. Yeah, it's, of course. It's, it's it because because then he would be then he would be the worst of the privileged. Well, it's not fair. The bludger's targeting me. Like, um. <laughs> You know, Fred and George are the ones, by the way, also standing up for Hermione when she gets called a mudblood. Fred and George are the ones who say, you know, something is wrong here. And they're the ones who say, you know, we need a we need a we need a timeout. This is nonsense. Um, So before we saw the team stand up for Hermione, now we see them standing up to standing up for Harry. But I think it's like page 186 or something. I really saw the bludger. Or 168, excuse me. I really saw the bludger as like a uh, an example of foreshadowing of um, like an object that has um, an agency mm. um, that particularly an agency that seems to be aimed at harming Harry in in particular. Oh uh, yeah, and yes. that that 
it's it's the middle of the book almost exactly and it would make sense right at this point in the story for there there's already been a few bewitched objects um uh, yeah. but for us for us to start seeing objects that that seem to have and live as a mind or with a mind or a will um like the like the ring of power or something or this yeah. you know i don't know if that that's how i saw the rogue bludger i didn't really see it as symbolic of like you know his demon of fame or his well uh, you the, know the pressure the, he's dealing with but well i think but i think yeah i think you did just however give perfect evidence for why that is the case however because the Weasleys are the ones who actually walk in front of him after he's accused and make jokes about it. And so what a beater is in this case is somebody who beats away insults at your fame or reputation. And that's what they're capable of doing. And that's why they're beaters. And so I think, I think you actually really proved the point in what you said rather than disproving it, which is, I think, a very helpful thing to have done. Um, okay. So I think it can be both, too. I don't ever think unless interpretations are directly against each other. I mean, I think, I mean, I do think some, hmm, well, this is complicated. So if, uh, just to, to take your point of view on it about the idea of like sort of a, uh, an agent identify or an object with agency, hmm. which makes me think about like, say the, the genie's lamp and Aladdin as well. Um, it, what is the connection of Dobby? To the to how does Dobby relate to the bludger in the same way that Voldemort relates to the diary? I guess. Yeah, yeah that's I, a, yeah. That's kind of well, so Dobby is the bottom, right? Like he's hmm. the lowest thing and and he's representative of this this class of dispossessed, like literally they dispossessed. Oh, that's a good line. That's a good and, word. And then and then on the other hand. Uh, we don't know it yet, but we'll learn more about, you know, the person who becomes Lord Voldemort, like what his background is like and what's possibly motivating some of his choices and things he, you know, the story that he creates about himself and imposes on the rest of the world, uh, the, the wizarding world, at least, and attempts to encompass everything. But so, like, Dobby is, is fascinating because he has so much power, right? But because of his station, he's not mm. able to recognize that, perhaps, or, or you know, certainly not allowed to, to use it in the ways that would be most beneficial to, to his oh. own freedom. So it's almost like uh, I'm because I can see that there's something sparkling there, but I don't know how to get there. So it's like an RPG or a video game, right, where you see something in the distance, but you don't yet have the necessary key mm -hmm. of discernment. And um, it's almost like what Dobby represents is like what the Hegelians say is the master slave dialectic that he who is low in rank is he who learns to work and thus acquire rank. And so mm -hmm. Dobby though of low rank is of great power and capacity and knowledge and knows no. secret magic that others do not and knows secrets about magical folk, especially dark magical folk that others do not. So perhaps he's something like a psychopomp towards the nefarious means that will be used against Harry by dark wizards, including the arch dark wizard, Voldemort. That is through the lowly servant that he will receive the uh, initial immunizing training for when he goes against the real thing. Sort of like the idea that's paralleled in the dueling club with uh, the facing of the, the smaller snake and then the bigger snake. 
um, eventually. Yeah, no, I, I think just from like a literary perspective, an author's mm-hmm. gonna an author's gonna prep you. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly we see J.K. Rowling doing that throughout in other ways throughout the text, right? That like even if you don't know that you're being primed for a big mm-hmm. climactic reveal at the end, like you have been, and so that's yeah. Do you think like, that's the magic that you're being primed without knowing you're being primed, so that it? Well, ha- I mean, so in the- so far as in so far as she's constructed a really believable, compelling, persuasive world that you feel immersed in and you don't even really know that you've been I mean kind of you know for lack of a better term tricked into believing that yeah, all of this pulled in like, sucked in like I mean that's that's where you get the I mean I think Tolkien calls it the elvish craft like you're yes. either mm-hmm. you're either you're you are bewitching a reader through your creation um through your words through your your you know the world that you designed for them to be immersed into and that that's the magic I think I don't I think Mm. in 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 doing that like the author can prime you for things such that they have like an enormity at the end like we 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 mentioned previously how Mm. um you know there's the reference to spiders and there's all kinds of references to snakes and they're not they're not offered as like plot points they're just offered as as, as metaphor really. in a staircase yeah but like in our in like as as readers it's not it's not like conscious plot right clues. It's they're just, just placed on the board pieces yeah. without connection yeah. and i think that the ability to do that is you know arguably magical but also like something that you can do that you and I could do if we wanted to write a book. Like, uh, but I don't think that makes it less magical would be my one contention. It's, I think it's precisely it's, because we can share intention in order to create a narrative in sort of a stone soup sort of way, right? Like if you look at any sport or any endeavor, you can, you can reduce it to its constituent parts and say it doesn't mean anything. Like what is baseball? Just taking a stick and whacking a ball? But it's like, no, <laughs> that's just the manifestation of a competitive of a competition which could manifest in many ways but there's still definitely something real learned from it and many things real and that's why people give time to it but, but I like think some, oh no good for it but just in this story it's as if what they're showing us in order to have a climax in order to have an ultimately meaningful or even possibly like say life-changing experience like harry seems to have at the end of each of these books and even along the way is that you, you, you don't just have some experience out of nowhere, like just a miracle, but you have a small experience, like these small spiders, and then you see some bigger spiders, and then you see the biggest, and you, yeah. or you see a small manifestation of dark arts, and then you see a bigger representation, and then you see the biggest again, and same with the snakes, too. It's as if what creates climax is sort of that like sort of Trinitarian three-in-one idea that you, you see the pattern as it develops and then you see its ultimate realization as a pattern as a constellation rather than as just separate events so it's as if like you were saying you don't notice the pattern while it's happening until it all of a sudden manifests in its fullest form as a climax it's like bang i think that's how human perception works too (laughs) that all of a sudden you notice a pattern exists even though beforehand the experiences all seem separate and that 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 I think is sort of the 
the magic of the logos or the, the, the real magic of being able to share an understanding with other humans. It's like, do you see that pattern? Do you recognize it? And I do think it is actually, that's like sort of the archetype of the journalist who feels like he's crazy, right? Who sees mm -hmm. something that others don't see, but if they saw what he saw, they would all understand what he understands. Um, yeah, yeah. Hmm. That, that's, well, it's like uh, one of the new words that people have to look up a lot online is gaslighting, which is ah. a word that I've looked up several times because I keep forgetting what it means and how to use it properly. Isn't is that <laughs> what it means, basically? You, you've, you, someone's manipulating you to, to the point where you're not sure whether the things that you're noticing are like real things, actually right. like problem sort of thing. It's, yeah, it's supposedly manifests in bad relationships okay. generally that one yeah. partner convinces the other partner that their experience of reality is invalid in some way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like the bad version or like the evil, the dark arts, right. Of like manipulating and adjusting the. Uh, so you, so you don't manipulate reality, but you manipulate someone's perception of reality to make them maladjusted. Yeah, yeah. And the way that these objects are arrayed on the board, right, like is subject to many different kinds of interpretations. So that's where sort of the the, the nefarious. Uh, well, so there's also this element of like uh, objectively more capable people are also doing some questionable things here, right? Like, like Harry Potter doesn't tell everyone why they're in the hallway looking at the writing on the wall. Right. He could he could say, you know, I heard this voice and mm, then let, he could be let the consequences play out. Right. Like once that information's out there, maybe Dumbledore can do something about it. But as it stands, it's everyone's sort of like freaked out, partly because Dumbledore himself can't heal the paralysis right away. Right. It's like mm. it's it's magic beyond the greatest living wizard. Right. So there's this sense that like the bottom's fallen out a little bit here and it's mm. accompanied by the uh, the good people not sharing adequate amounts of information with each other so oh right yeah, that's really good that's really good because it also shows that if dumbledore is a figure of god the father then it is it is an individual revealing what he knows but thinks is crazy to the the rest of the mass which enables the community to bind together to figure out the appropriate solution to the problem. And, because... and Hermione's, well, Hermione's solution is, is just nuts, right? Like <laughs> she's going to, she's going to steal this like very dangerous book or, or uh, acquire it under false pretenses. And she's just like not being herself, but, but it's clear that she's like freaked out. You know, because she's a mudblood. She's. Not... I would argue that she is being herself. Like, <laughs> like I would argue that she. I mean, she's first of all, she's the only one who seems to have. Um, she has an understanding, right? She's, she's really into the rules, right? But yes. maybe the one oh, thing yeah. that she's learned is that the rules, um, like can't protect her. Well, no, no, that's not what I was going to say. I was going to say that, like, um, the rules are of, of and codes of conduct for the Hogwarts students are there to represent bigger rules, right? We've seen, we've seen Professor McGonagall not 
punish according to the letter of the rule, but perhaps mm. um, as, as an opportunity to teach them like a grander rule or a wider rule. And like, what is maybe, maybe Hermione's just a quicker, a quicker study than the rest of them that like, that's definitely like, that's true. Like, yeah. like that there are certain rules that are in place. Like kids can't check out certain books that are dangerous without the, the express permission of a teacher, but like, <laughs> Um, that maybe there's grander rules that one needs to abide by. I mean, so what you said was about like Harry not sharing that information because he's afraid about, you know, what it'll make him look like mm-hmm. to the rest of his peers. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good person doing nothing in a situation where doing mm-hmm. nothing violates a wider rule. When you see yeah. innocent people suffering and quite frankly, Hermione I see her, I mean, she's got more skin in the game than the rest of them. Um, Like, maybe she's a quick enough study that, like, shit, like, like some of the rules don't matter if I'm a target in in this, you know, and I I guess um, earlier, earlier this afternoon, I was watching some videos of these, these rallies happening in Texas uh, around this guy running for Senate, who is incredible. Um, and uh, he, he got asked a question. His name is Beto O'Rourke. If anybody's listening to this and you live in Texas, you definitely need to vote for him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but somebody, asked, somebody asked, somebody asked, um, asked him like what he thought about, you know, professional football players taking a knee and, and without getting into any of that. But what he what he did was he just he like rattled off a, a litany of examples of people who when they're rights or when the rights of people like them were on the line they broke rules Uh, like like they sat at the lunch counter where they weren't supposed to sit or they you know what i mean and they broke rules because the rules actually violated a broader rule or breaking the rules like served a purpose to you know what i mean and i i guess i would say that she's actually being the most hermione by and the most heroic potentially and the most gryffindor most right. deserving of Gryffindor. Well, that's because, interesting. Yeah, because she's risking the vi- like the thing that means more to her than anything else, which is her academic standing, or at least the thing that on the outside. I don't think that's what means the most to her on the inside. But again, that's like that's what happens later. But well, this thing that we know that she cares about her grades, right? Um, she's risking her. You know, she's risking a ton. To break yeah. this rule. And like she has to convince the other boys to break the rules. Like, <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I just like something is wrong in that situation. <laughs> I, I like, so, which makes me think that she's actually the one who's right. Um, well, and yeah, you're, you're opening my eyes to a couple ideas here that potentially the flaw in Harry's behavior and not revealing that he could hear something through the walls. Uh, to Dumbledore who might then figure out what was happening because he had been there before and then would perhaps connect when the basilisk was there and could connect that event with this one potentially. Um, But that Harry sort of acts like a coward in that, in that point by not revealing something that could potentially uh, be misconstrued. And then I guess the wider rule that is sort of trespassed upon there is that you got to put the group above yourself when you have a piece of information that they don't have because it ends up coming out anyway. 
yeah. uh, unconsciously later to even worse effect than he could have imagined in front of everybody at the dueling club. He looks like a parcel mouth who tries to get a snake to attack uh, uh, um, uh, a half-blood, right? Isn't, isn't that what? Yes, and that's why Finch Fletchley is uh, uh, targeted. And so, yeah, 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 yeah. And with Hermione, I wonder if it's also that when survival, when it comes down to survival, certain rules um, lose their motivational valence and other more primal uh, rules become operant. That all of a sudden the rules of the school, of the ordered situation, don't apply because this is now a disordered situation where survival is at stake. And so the rules have changed, I think, like you suggest, and that the, the deeper, uh, more important rules, even than grades and standing, uh, have, uh, have fallen away and now survival. And, and this increases their education, right? Now Hermione has to reach even farther ahead than all the students around her. Right. She has so to go to the most advanced texts that nobody else is ready for and nobody else is in the situation or nobody has the wherewithal or is in the dangerous situation necessary in conjunction like Hermione is to just put her at her limit, like you're saying. Like she is her most Hermione and most Gryffindor because she is moving as far ahead as possible in order to spare herself and others because of her, both her political feelings about not being a mudblood but being you know, a great wizard, but also because of her feelings of survival or her desire to survive. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if we, if we see some of her behavior as perhaps adhering to grander, like a, a, a different kind of order, right. Or like reflecting at maybe like a deeper law, like you said, mm -hmm. like a law of survival or perhaps like a greater, like a greater, deeper moral code. It's like, it's almost as though following all the rules, has worked for her right mm -hmm. it's taught her ah. like what are rules supposed to teach you they're supposed to teach you what is good and what is bad um they're supposed to i mean that not they don't always do that right how to act in a situation they're supposed to teach and 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 what what is that is that is that prudence um um like to see a situation to know what to do and then to do it mm -hmm. um and, like, that's so, good and that's good and and so but has she learned through this habituation habitual adherence to rules and habituated study that like mm, there are bigger things out there like has she has she started to access things like justice the way that she is also going to access these really high level potions books and then by the way going to make it and it'll work yeah. um like but i think I think part of what I'm saying about her plan being strange is not so much that she's taking this step, which is outside of the, the rules a little bit, uh, or at least, you know, pushing them. Um, <laughs> I, outside. Yeah. To, to, for her to steal a book from the library, like makes a lot of sense to me. And for her to uh, interrupt a, a professor who's never been interrupted before by asking an interesting and pertinent question is again like very much in her in her wheelhouse as a character what is strange to me is her plan to get everyone to look like draco's uh his his cronies you know yes. and that that's her plan to like figure out the truth i found that it's it's a it's a dramatic like left turn that the story takes at that point it's like oh let's do this thing like here's what we're going to do 
And I thought it was very uh, like interesting thematically that it's, it's like a use of magic, which is dangerous and potentially against the rules or whatever. Like that seems to fit really well with everything going on. Um, but like the specifics of it is like, we're going to make you look like uh, these two, these two Slytherins. And that's how you're going to find out the truth. I just yes. found it. It's like, it's like very, it's very um, out there and it's sort of like sudden. She's like, Oh, you weren't listening when state mentioned this polyjuice potion two weeks ago. Now this is the thing. Like, so, but yeah. I think it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Once you start so, to like, look at the, the way it works. Yeah. So I have two questions based on that for y'all. One, the polyjuice potion and the fact of them identifying or becoming like someone else in order to acquire information. I, I wonder if what you're feeling there is that that is precisely the opposite way of getting information. Instead of identifying with the herd or identifying with someone who is not you in order, uh, in order to learn, you, you learn nothing about yourself simply by trying to be someone you are not. Well, I right. wonder if it's saying something like that where whereas Harry should be admitting precisely what is unique about him, which is that he's a parcel mouth and can thus hear a snake in the walls, which is if Dumbledore hears that, that's clearly a basilisk who has been petrifying people, which is what Dumbledore will eventually, of course, figure out once he has the relevant, relevant information. Um, but one other thing I wanted to ask about the polyjuice potion to y'all is what, what do you think it means that Hermione though she does come up with this brilliant plan, though it doesn't solve their problem, though it is brilliant, she, she messes up a little bit. She gets one detail wrong and it just, and it totally backfires on her. She can't even be a part of the mission. Well, maybe that, point. maybe that comes from her being, and, and, you know, maybe I have to take back some of what I just said about this being the most Hermione mm. And the brain, I mean, on maybe, well, maybe I don't take it back now that I think about it. She but, maybe pushed her limit. Well, and maybe she went a little bit beyond her limit. Maybe, right, maybe right. because this, maybe, I mean, I will say the, the one thing that to me didn't strike me as Hermione was not the plan hmm. itself, but like the manipulation of a teacher to get. Yes. yes. And so, and, and maybe that is where this is like, Hermione motivated more by the emotional than than the reasonable like hmm. like maybe if she had she's just like us even though yeah, she's so gifted even though she's so gifted maybe maybe this is maybe it's a sign that uh yeah she's being brave but she's also th this courage to do what's right you know despite the rules or t maybe it was a little too rash maybe it's the mm. it's beyond the mean of courage like mm. and 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 i think you also get that lesson in the fact that it doesn't work like they 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 were again aimed in the wrong direction for right. their right so like right um because because i do think like finding i mean they don't have things like listening devices right so yeah, this, how else would you get into the Slytherin common room? How else would you get that guy to open up to you? Um, yeah, but it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting stratagem, right? It's like, we're going to spy. And the way that we're going to spy is by being in plain sight, but disguised so well, you know, that no one will figure it out. Um, it's like high risk and it's like very flashy. Uh, it takes a ton of preparation. It's like, it's the sort of thing, if you were like a brilliant young witch, you'd be like, that's a challenge I want to take on. Right. That's the way we're going to do this thing. 
and it's so it's it does fit with her character it it makes the story super interesting and it gives you this great like red herring and it's a thing that rowling will come back to later and use for 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 later books it's cool but it's like well i mean the the alternative is like find this plan that is like simple and Mm. discreet like you know subtle and well i don't know maybe that's just like a different sort of thing that's um I, I think I think you've got it. Slytherin-y, right? Would be Slytherin-y to do, mm. which is what Harry is. He's, He's playing out. their game. I don't know. Is it is it Slytherin-y? I mean, it's manipulative and conniving, but there's something. I mean, there's no, no. a lot of risk involved in going into their like. I mean, saying you are the, literally identifying with Slytherins. Yeah, no. The plan, the plan that they've got is is brave and dashing and flashy. I'm saying that's Gryffindory. I'm saying that what would be Slytherin-y would be to be subtle and to go oh. and do something that is going to pay off, right, and make you make you great, but is not necessarily like the cleanest. Well, bit I, th- of work. I I think what I see at least when when you mentioned that she's trying to be like a brilliant wizard, but not seeking the Occam's razor simplest possible solution. That reminds me again of the motif of the sophomore year, right? The Sophos Moros. I was just going to say that. Right. She's so sophisticated in her methodology, but she's a fool in that she's not directed in the right way. And so she, she hasn't yet lighted upon the right path. And I wonder also if that's, um, uh, well, so when I did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, they always said that the second rank, the blue belt was, was the worst rank to have because like a sophomore, you were now above the white belts and you were considered, you know, incredible, but you would always try the flashiest moves that yeah. always work the worst and are poorly integrated into your game. You know, the simple stuff is what generally works in everything um, uh, uh, and especially martial arts. And so I, yeah, I do wonder if that's sort of a con because isn't that a contrast with how well she figured out problems with simple solutions in the first book? She just uses the charm that they had learned in class to open the door to Fluffy. It's simple. It's almost so simple that you're like, how did that work? Whereas here she uses the most complicated solution possible and it doesn't work at all. I think also when you're 12, everything everything is of utmost dramatic importance, right? Like, and so, and so when Malfoy says, you know, yeah, you're next, mudbloods. Mm. She hears it again, right? We talked about last time how how quickly he goes from saying it on the Quidditch pitch and, you know, just around a small group of people feeling their revulsion and then saying it in front of the whole collected group of students right there in the, in the hallway and how he shouts it in front of teachers. And um, yeah. we talked about Him. that and about, about like, about yeah. like, you know, recklessness. And when you think you can get away with one thing, you try and get away with more. And we talked about like the decrease in civility and like where yeah. the, li- like the, the expansion of where the line is. I and think it, he sees just... that the situation is changing too, but also does not identify the right. cause or direction of it. But like, it so could... all of the stakes get increasingly higher, right? Like everything is. As you get is... closer to violence and disagreement. Everything, everything is. A little bit more emotionally charged so Mm. when she says this like he's just you know he's just said this thing that is offensive word that 
and you know the cat is petrified and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> a number of things that happen but like 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 you said like the like uh the order has shifted dumbledore doesn't know how to solve this problem mm. though i would bet he has an idea yeah. um but but and so uh, far as harry does so does he <laughs> yeah. but but um like the the what used to be normal mm-hmm. is not is not the reality anymore and so right. when things shift and change and they seem to get increasingly dangerous and people grow increasingly divided um uh, everything takes on like a heightened emotional charge and so what if like a 12 year old mm. everybody you know you start to see everything as as you know riddled with um high stakes and a high stakes problem to a 12 year old requires a high stakes solution. I mean, I, I've seen them try to get around like the I, rules or like, I mean, like watching kids try to break the rules is un, unbelievable. The lengths they will go to, to get around something. And you're like, if you could apply one quarter of the ingenuity that you are employing here, if you can employ that like and direct it towards something good useful um educational, uh, let me rate. let me let me ask you this then do you think that this is the childish manifestation of what they think is adult so when they come up against an adult problem that what they consider an adult solution is an overly complicated solution that doesn't work as manifested by the false adult gilderoy lockhart who gives the air of mastery without the actual skill to back it up and so what Hermione is trying to do is to imitate what she thinks is admirable, is adult, to do the most complicated and sophisticated thing rather than to just do the thing that works. And we know that she's read all of his books from right. cover to cover and, <laughs> and has absorbed all of his stories and thinks that they're true, right? And wants so- his autograph. away <laughs> <laughs> his autograph. The thing is, his stories are apparently really interesting, right? And it would make a less interesting story if you just say, Harry, like, go tell Dumbledore that you heard the snake talking, like, well, this voice you heard talking, whatever. He'll put it together for you. You know, that makes a much less interesting story than, like, let's get this book that is, like, really dangerous and has pictures of witches with arms coming out of their heads and people turned inside out. And then we're going to sit in the bathroom with Moaning Myrtle and make the potion that no one else can make. Right? So it's like... It's partly that as well, where it's like... It's so you- are you taking Draco's point that they're sort of embracing the fame here, Wes? That they're oh, sort you. of embracing their own narrative, that they're sort of creating their own side quests in order to make life more interesting, or that it's sort of... I'm- I certainly think that the... Uh, I certainly think that J.K. Rowling is doing, a, you know, doing some work ah. to, to, to spin this thing out and to make... Yeah, <laughs> You know, to make Lockhart more than just like a super absurd character, but somehow like the heart of this book, right? Like everyone is getting Lockharted as we're going along oh. here. Um, Gilded. What does Royd. that mean? What does that is mean? It, is that the is that the, what Sarah was saying earlier? The art of fairy of getting us to read and center around this book, though it's sort of a a simulacra of reality rather than reality itself. Is that? You've got- You've got this situation where like, so the kid is there with a broken arm. So what do you do? Do you take the kid up to Madame Pomfrey and like, let her fix the arm, you know, like. Ah, so it's happening everywhere, not just Hermione. Or do, you, 
Or do you get you get up in his face with your shiny teeth and be like, Harry, I'm gonna arm. <laughs> it's gonna, it's oh. gonna be so he is an embodiment of the sophomore of the theme of the book, is what yeah. you're saying. And that's so, what's happening all throughout. I think he right. also is like you like we were sort of dancing around with like Hermione choosing the like the least elegant but the most outrageous story worthy, yeah. right? Um, yeah. way of solving what she has deemed to be a problem. Like they've all they've also assumed right mm-hmm. um again yeah, that draco is the problem right. right they've made these assumptions about who the real villain is yep never mind that the villain is like among we, themselves and they've constantly but, been been given the lesson that appearances are not always mm-hmm. to be trusted and um and like and, what what you think you know about someone is often incomplete both good yes. and bad um and so um, and look for the moat in your own eye before it in your brother's right look and so amongst they, your own they've they've been given these opportunities to learn this lesson and they have chosen not to or mm. they have not yet been able to absorb that lesson about you know so about, do you think about where, where, where there's but hang on like yeah, I think, yeah i think um that that like the the search for the 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 um fantastic among something that like the 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 search for that is part of what she's writing about um maybe with regard to magic in this world but also like like reaching for the the most complex um you know expression of magic and magical power in this world leads you to overlook some of the the things that the book is like basically about or nice. that the, it, it, you overlook the magic of Dobby you overlook mm. um the theme themes of like bullying and friendship and and like those things that seem sort of mundane and boring because they are mundane and ordinary and they're you know what I mean like like going into Harry Potter world and thinking that's the only place where there's magic is 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 exactly the same thing that Hermione yeah. is is the exact same error of Hermione in nice. like looking for magic in the polyjuice potion whereas something else that doesn't require the flick of a wand and a month's worth of time could accomplish I, I wonder if another way of saying that is that no matter how far we traveled the world in, fa- in order to find the problem of our life the only place we ever need to look is in our own hearts at ourselves and that each of these characters spins a web as complicated as possible in order to find the heart of the problem outside himself or herself. And that ultimately the problem comes from their own. Jenny, it's a Gryffindor. Oh, why'd you get this problem? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> well, in any case, I, well, because I think it's relevant to this conversation because that's what we're, we're dancing around. We're trying to that's what that's how we're doing what the characters in the story are doing right that we're we're trying to come up with these complicated uh sophisticated solutions to these characters problems the Mm -hmm. problem that we're really trying to solve is the problem of good and evil in our own hearts um see that's that's very interesting because the uh the book right like this thing that we're gathered around we're gathered around it because it spins this very interesting and intricate sort of story, but it strikes this balance as you're describing Sarah, like that there's, there's still recognizable and 
ordinary and and thus um, important right uh, sorts of elements that are that are in there too. And so it it strikes this very delicate balance between uh, fantasy and the novel, and then the everyday and the ordinary uh, that we can sort of well then so we get this thing all right so to your point about like sophomoric nonsense happening the dueling club uh, <laughs> an actual wand waving contest <laughs> harry's spell harry's spell causes malfoy to uh be tickled right to to be tortured by a tickling charm and malfoy's spell counter spell is to cause harry to dance like a fool out of control uh, and, and I love I love both of those those bits of, of dog Latin uh, rictum sempra and yeah tanta allegra taranta allegra uh, yeah. I think I think that's just like a really nice like image of of the kind of uh, depths to which twelve year olds will sink in their in their slinging of spells. Well, you know, something interesting about that, too, because of the pig Latin. So there's the Taranta. So it's like a tarantula. So it's like an image of Medusa. And in the Legro, of and course, spiders. you were talking about. Yeah. Again, spider, the very. Yep. Dang, that's that's an excellent connection. And also in Allegro, like you were like you were talking about music earlier, is actually usually in the masculine. And so it is to feminize or make chaotic his legs. And so it's also a, a diss calling him a girl from <laughs> Malfoy. Right. It's it and, and it is his legs, right? Precisely where his hit that which distinguishes him as a man would be. Right. Um, and that he cannot even order his own legs, let alone his own house. And so it's like they're having a disc for. And yeah. what's interesting about what hits uh I, I think it hits Malfoy in the stomach is a silver beam from Harry. Okay. Well, silver in Dante's Divine Comedy is discernment, a reflection. And I wondered if that was supposed to represent um an insult or criticism causing unwanted self-reflection in you that causes pain to you or emotional distress. Uh Um, And if that's kind of what a duel is, like an attempt to use your logos to hurt somebody else by, by, um, by uh, making them a passive agent to their own conscious growth, by forcing conscious growth on them, by making them reflect on terrible things about themselves. Um, uh, <laughs> I do wonder whether that is what an insult is and whether that's what a duel with a wand is between two people that just like each other to some, or to some extent. Um, hmm. Well, it's really but cool. Yeah. It's like, this is one of the first chances we get to see what like a battle between like skilled wizards would actually look like. And it dissolves instantly into like mayhem and, <laughs> and, and like with the headlock uh, with the Slytherin girls. <laughs> Milla, Milla, Bullstrode, Militant. Yeah, Millicent. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's the only way you'll ever beat Hermione with physical force, not by you. And yeah, just attacking the source of all her woes, try and rip her head off. <laughs> I mean, Which is, I, yeah. I got to say, as I read this, this chapter, I was just, my teacher cap was on and I was thinking about the horrific lesson planning happening here. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Gilderoy Lockhart. Again, so back to the point about di- him Severus disarming. Snape. Severus Snape yeah, was that's just true. as bad. Like, like and he was point. like, uh, I mean, they're just, I like this. I know we've talked about like letting, about how, you know, activity and practice is really important in learning and like how you 
you learn by doing and mm-hmm. you know you learn by failure and you learn by danger but this this is not the same <laughs> no and uh, yeah so this what is, is snape doing chaos, in this right is snape is snape just trying to demonstrate the difference between a master and a fool by being by agreeing to do this um and he also seems pretty interested in getting harry and malfoy to fight against each other he and is. breaking up the dream team as he calls it <laughs> which is an interesting americanism yeah. in there um and so yeah so what why does snape agree to do this he's usually he is a master of what he does and obviously also a master of dueling and of occlumency i mean he's an extraordinarily impressive fellow the things he can do when you see all the list of things he's incredible at um and what why does he face off against lockhart and then I mean, Spelliarmus him into oblivion. I think, <laughs> I think he kind of wanted to embarrass Lockhart. Uh-huh. Definitely, yeah. like this was less about teaching the kids to duel. Do you think Lockhart was James Potter to Snape, somebody with fame unearned, <laughs> and that Snape wanted to expose him? There's certainly an of of that, and and I think it does have a lot to do with him getting a chance to pit uh, his protege Malfoy against Potter you know, and, and expose Potter to uh, ridicule if, po- if at all possible. But, right? but, we also, <laughs> but we also know that like, we know that Snape isn't stupid. He has to know how unworthy Malfoy is as well. <laughs> right. Like, like we've seen, we've seen, you know, Malfoy's father is embarrassed by Draco's kind mm. of relative incompetence. Middling marks. We know, yeah. We know that like, he only got on the Quidditch team because his dad and like, because his right. dad bought the broomsticks, like like Snape isn't daft. He's not. He's not. Uh, he's he knows that Draco gets things because he of his last name and because they can afford it, and and so I think it's kind of I, I find it almost pitiable that like that Malfoy is his protege, yeah. and I think it's actually his attempt to not dominate Lockhart, but his attempt to try and maybe get back at James Potter. But really to get back at Harry, um, using this thing that he knows is 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 insufficient. Like in a real duel, Malf- Malfoy and Harry had like read a dueling book and then um, or like watched a dueling YouTube video and then went to a duel. Harry would demolish him. Right? And we already saw it in the in the Quidditch match when the snitch was in front of his like next to his face and Harry embarrassed him. Right. See, so that's, I think that that's a fascinating image of Malfoy's whole problem, right? Like, <laughs> right. He's so fixated right. on Harry Potter, right, that he can't see the snitch inches from his own ear, right? So, yeah. And it's like, I think Snape's falling into that here too, probably. Like, and, yes, I agree. And maybe, you know, if, if, if Snape was a really good teacher, though this would kind of contradict really good teacher, but if he, like, <laughs> If, if, like, if he was trying to, you know, bolster Malfoy's confidence and say, like, come here, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you, like, expel the demon that is Harry Potter in your mind. I'm going to put you guys in a duel together and I'm going to teach you how to beat him and then you'll, you'll be done with it. And it'll be totally fine. You'll walk away. You'll, you'll, you'll have saved face from what you lost in the Quidditch match. If that was happening, it's a little twisted, but it's not. Like, I don't think that that's what's happening. I think Snape, I like, I normally, I normally, I really like the character. At this point in the novels, I don't think you're supposed to. I think right. you're, you know, like, um, I, 
he is, I mean, he's like glaring at them. We know that he's good at his job. Um, not, not just good. We know that he's excellent at his job, but like, I think he serves as a, as a foil for Lockhart, but also as like a, um, like a, a secondary villain for Harry. Um, his competence at dueling and at teaching, um, it just makes Lockhart look even more foolish, right? Well, and I, and I wonder about the connection now. When I heard you talking, it popped into my head. Something that Snape does is he also disarms. He, he uses the ultimate disarming magic. And so a couple of things about that that made me wonder are, A, he does show Malfoy the key to winning. He shows everybody, but both Malfoy and Harry choose to be flashy rather than to use the most effective um, thing a good wizard can use, which is Expelliarmus, which disarms your opponent, which means they've lost, which means you can point at them and it's over, which it's like you rid them of the ability to make their own choices. You take mm-hmm. their liberty away, their logos, their capacity to choose um, rather than their capacity uh, ra- to be alive, which is the Avada Kedavra curse. Duck. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but um, so I do think he, he models like a good teacher there but is the youthful sort of sophomoricness um, that sort of keeps the boys from just doing the right thing. But I also wondered how that connects. So <laughs> Gilderoy Lockhart disarms Harry by taking the bones out of his arm. Yeah, literally. Snape disarms Gilderoy Lockhart by actually blasting him with an Expelliarmus spell, which uh, it may- disarms him of his, his weapon, his wand. And... How did y'all think those instances of disarming were either alike or different? Um, like, is one sort of a legitimate case exercised by skill and one by charm? I'm just not, hmm. I'm not sure what, what that connection is. I feel like there is a connection there, but I don't know what its, what its nature is. Well, I, like, I would say that it, they, I mean, they happen so close together. The chapters are back to back, that they're, hmm. they're a good example of, I mean, that's a, that's a good example of Snape serving as a foil though i would argue that lockhart is really the foil for all of the other okay. teachers okay because he's the thing the negative side of yeah teaching, like, like yeah the incompetent because he, he's the the one that sort of stands apart from the rest of them um right. i'm not sure if there's you know if you can say well it's the the hand or the arm that governs the wand hmm. is there something related to 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 that i don't hmm. know yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, Wes. But it ties the mind to the wand or something. Yeah, we do see, like, we've seen Ron's wand woes throughout the book. <laughs> and clearly for humans and students of magic at the school, which is apparently the best school there is, right, the wand is key. But there's also obviously magic that happens without wands, which, mm. again, is, like, emphasized by Dobby's incredible power, which yes. I'm going to keep coming back to, right? Like, and, yes. and we can't forget Harry Potter as a babe was not holding a wand, right? He was right. he was protected by a spell, Nor which was might his have mother. been. Right? But so there's some kind of deeper magic there, and like Dumbledore said at the very start, uh, the, there's musical magic, right? There's the enchantment, like literally that that root of that word having to do with like singing and and music, um, and the kinds of things uh, that we see, um, just in terms of uh, you know the hugeness of Hagrid. Uh, you know, there, there's obviously other weird stuff going on 
it's like you're saying that there's the magic which is rational, which we can see with the light of the logos, but there's also the infinite field of the irrational, real magic that we can't see with the logos. And so that no matter how much we ever see, we will always know by faith and by actual experience that there's so much that is real that we don't understand that we should always be, I don't know, humble in the light of it. Because Dobby is, of course, a slave and yet can can essentially almost kill Harry Potter, right? Well, he can and... he can do things that no one else can do in Hogwarts, like apparate, right? right? Um, oh, wow, yes. Which we know from um, Hermione's annoying recitation of Hogwarts and history. But, like, <laughs> well, you, you can't, in, you, you're not supposed to be able to apparate in and out of the campus, um, and, right. and Dobby can do that. I do think that, yeah, I, I think to, to tie it back to what we were talking about earlier, um, uh, the power of the magic that that you were saying west is like deeper magic like the the power of a mother's love the magic there mm-hmm. or dobby's magic magic of friendship the magic that you were mentioning at the beginning alex of the magic the, of a story yeah, the, yeah. Uh, or uh, or how like a um the individual members of a group are um improved or their powers and skills are augmented through mm-hmm. a fellowship of some kind, like a quest mm-hmm. together. Um, those types of things that, that like you can't learn in a book though. Apparently you can because they're in Harry Potter, but like they're not, um, they're not governed by the flip of a wand or the com- combined, you know, incantation and a focus of your mind or something. But um, those are the things that a sophomore is going to overlook. Right. After, right. after a year's worth of, of immersion into all of this magic they're gonna see the wand stuff as really cool right and like powerful and isn't that kind of what um we what not kind of but that's the seed of something that um that ultimately is what tempts voldemort which is the power over death that he seeks well it's the power over something the other kinds of of magic that we were talking about they either come from someone who is lower and vulnerable or they open more yourself up to vulnerability by virtue of your attachments to other people. Like Harry's mother's love for him is a, is a, is a magic that inherently requires um, what some might certainly Voldemort would call weakness, but, but, but so there's there, I think there's something, something to that, that like part of what the wise fool is attracted by um, it's tied to the fame that Locked that Lockhart seems to crave and like live upon, but it's the um the the ability to be over something to be better. Because one thing I noticed is that he's like even when he talks to Harry about like the Quidditch match that's coming up, he's like, oh, I could teach you a few things, you know. Like he tells these lies, but they're always as a way of isolating himself as superior to somebody else. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's without offering any real help. It's like it's part of the the fame thing. I think that I think his I think the fame is the result of people believing him. Right. And so fame requires an audience. But but what what's happening in internally in the in Lockhart, I think, is is more of a quest to be above, to be separate. Right. Um, and, and like and to be above and therefore like to have dominion over or. Maybe it's dominion in the form of knowledge or dominion in the form of control or something like that. But they, like he won't, yeah. but, but I, I, 
it seems to me like that's the thing that the wise fool wants, um, that the sophomore wants is like, let me show you what I can do that makes me different from you. Um, yeah. And then therefore makes me better, you know, like um, he wants to be different without putting in the work necessary to be different at least in terms of skill and that even Um, even the person who is different in terms of skill like hermione right we know she's better than the rest of them she's different she stands out because she has put in the work and probably because she's naturally bright right but so so uh and she was a deadly combination a deadly combination hardworking and naturally having aptitude but she doesn't crave uh, or she doesn't allow her difference to let her think that she's better than other people, much less treat them as though they are beneath her. Like maybe she does at the beginning where she's a little condescending about how Ron is pronouncing a spell, <laughs> but like, Leviosa. yeah, but like, but maybe that's just out of a, you know, an attempt to help. Like, I don't, I don't like her Anybody who seems like Dumbledore is a great example of somebody who is objectively better than everybody else. Right? <laughs> like he's more powerful. He's smarter. He's more experienced. He's all of the things, but he doesn't like, I, I don't know. He doesn't seek to, to like dominate other people and like, you know, walk into a room where they all defer to him. And I don't, he's not signing autographs, even though of anybody at the school, he's the one who should be, right? Yeah. Uh, In fact, in the next chapter, we'll see that the room he's in has pictures of all the headmasters before him. Right. He has the lowest spot at the desk. So to me, I I just see like that, that humility is part Mm -hmm. of what the wise fools don't have. And I I think it's something that Snape doesn't have. Mm. 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 At least. Well. Well, I think this is a, it's a, as if the book has been getting to us, too. This has been a very interesting sort of episode. We've been re- really been digging in and finding that perhaps the basilisk can strike us as well. And so perhaps uh, like in Stephen King's book, it, a book can have fangs. And like we'll, of course, see in just a couple of books in Harry Potter, too. And just one last thing about the connection that we that you were making and that Wes made and that I said something on, is what Snape says to stop the duels. Finite incantatum. It means finish the incantation. And in that incantation is the word canto, which means a song. Mm -hmm. And so to finish something or to make something finite means to limit it in some way. And so I wonder if the idea there is that like wand magic is a very limited perspective, a powerful and good one, and this is part of being sophomore too, that since you're building a new perspective, you forget about the existence of so many other perspectives all around you. Um, And that that's what they're constantly being reminded of in this text. There are giant spiders, there are weird potions, there are basilisks, and there are emotional forces uh, and people getting crushes all over. And you don't notice any of this going on around you because you're building this one perspective at the time. Um, Absolutely. And maybe that's what an education is. I don't know. A leading forth or a leading from. That that's I wanted to bring up old uh Filch. I'm uh, sorry to mm. last minute, but the whole squib thing, like all he can see is that Harry knows he's a squib. And he's like totally irrational, like even worse than usual as a result. <laughs> and it, 
I think he's a good example of someone who never gets the the proper education and upbringing mm. to, to get out of that that state of like needing to uh, define things so limitedly, right? That he's right. stuck. He's like arrested in that in that mode. Whereas these poor sophomores, at least they'll grow out of it, you know, if they survive. Yeah. So and Hagrid, as foiled to him there. Hagrid could feel the same way, looked down upon, but rather Hagrid is extraordinarily caring and intimidating, even though he's similar. And just here's a point that I think, Sarah, uh, I think this is a point towards something I found you to be interested in, both in the real world and in the Harry Potter world now. But I think something you might find funny is that I'm starting to detect uh, hints, potentially everywhere in these texts, that the old wizarding blood is running a bit thin, right? Filch, Neville. Malfoy. None of these are stellar, stellar, stellar individuals. <laughs> Hermione is stellar. And I'm just, and I'm not saying that J.K. Rowling would, you know, consciously be talking about the aristocracy of Britain or, uh, or of any ruling class. But I am, I am suggesting that perhaps everybody in this world in some way or another understands that changes are coming that are going to change everything that they cannot stop Perhaps that is at the root of the conflict between those who consider themselves true bloods and those who are considered mud bloods. That what they see is the future in them, the strength coming from them, and the wave that they will not stop. And that that is precisely why they are putting up their defenses because because that's all they can do, and they know that they're doomed to lose because they've been outpaced. I'm not going to say one way or another like what she intentionally did. Sure. And I, I know that there's some disagreement in the literary criticism world about the degree to which, like, knowledge of the context in which a story is written or the biography of an author should be brought to bear on the, sure. you know. That's like, less I, interesting I, to I, me anyway. Right. I do think, I mean, I do think knowing, knowing, like, the world in which a story is created is pretty important at least to me to to like being able to figure out like what might this story be responding to like a very Mm. well written story like for example something like dante's inferno or dante's comedy Mm. i think Mm, i think think you can read that and then like it's so good that you can figure out the context of you know 14th century florence but Mm -hmm. knowing a little bit about it it explains to me why backstabbing politically corrupt liars and the treacherous are so deep i mean like there are really good philosophical reasons and theological reasons for those people to be so deep in hell but i think i kind of also understood it you know like it's 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 interesting it might not be completely and totally useful and it's certainly not like conditional nor is it like predictive of what something means semicolon however comma um I do think, I mean, take into consideration the world in which this story um, arises. First of all, in the last 20 years, there've been, there's just been this explosion in fantasy writing for young adults, right? Before there was like J.R.R. Tolkien and maybe Terry Brooks. Um, there were a few other writers, a lot of epics there was like red wall and stuff but maybe maybe go back further than 20 years go back the last 30 years or something it's been explosive right and then what is jk rowling writing in the midst it's it's one generation one like 35 year period after the de facto fall of the british empire and what's happening in britain at the time um is i mean the empire is not over 
Um, but like what's happening in Britain is uh, a lot of people moving to Britain from former British colonies. And you have um, like Eng- the face of England is changing. Um, the, you know, like the, the facial features, um, the common customs, like the, the skin color of the, of the, of the British Isles is, is evolving. And um, not that it was always, you know, purely white. There were plenty of people who weren't, you know, well-bred Protestants, but, you know, they didn't have power. And in, in a, you know, relatively, I'm pretty sure it classifies as a constitutional democracy of some kind, but maybe yeah, I, constitutional I, monarchy. Yeah. But so there, there's voting, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yes, but so like yes. people have more power, um, people who are different, people who um, uh, aren't Anglican, people who don't look like every, you know, they, they don't look like people looked 20, like a hundred years ago, like, the, the changes happening culturally in Britain, which I think we've seen like a reaction to very much with, you know, a large percentage of the elderly population of Britain voting to leave the EU a couple of years ago. Like you're seeing a reaction to those changes, but she's very she's been very clear about writing. Writing this as a way to, to talk about multiculturalism and um inclusivity social inclusivity versus social exclusivity and class and we'll start to see that more of course with like house elves and magic is might and you know like some of the some of the things that once the ministry gets involved it becomes a little more clearly a like having political messaging but the ministry yeah like once, once they become more of a character like in later stories what they start to yes, do, you know. and, and they they begin in this one right there is a chapter called cornelius fudge oh um, and i forgot yeah yeah i just saw it today I, it's not like i just remembered that but it it was a it was something i saw earlier that i didn't connect to what was going to happen later but i did see it then and now it has meaning <laughs> wow now i understand interstellar oh my god um, it's the magic, uh, magic. <laughs> it is it is and so just one thing about you saying that is that You just, again, did that for another memory of mine. In college, I read a graphic novel in my modern epic class as a freshman called League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And the very first picture is a fallen statue of Royal Britannia, which is the image or form of the the Anglican, right? The Angle, Mm -hmm. the, the, the England man, or England woman in this case, or that original ideal that they had. And who are the extraordinary gentlemen? Well, they're men from different cultures. They're different heroes from abroad, including Captain Nemo, who is, of course, Indian. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so sort of the falling of the former patriarchal idea and thus the disinhibition of heroic images who now have to compete to form a, a new image of society. And perhaps what we're seeing in that book and in Harry Potter and possibly the world is the coming to be of a new way of seeing or I, I don't want to say it too big, almost a new way of seeing who we are, a new perspective. I think that's, on, that's exactly it. Yeah. And so maybe that's the real magic that we're, we're all trying to encant together and that when you, or to tap into. And that when you, when you recognize the mundane in something as extraordinary as this, it helps readers maybe arrive at those conclusions, right? Yeah, it certainly helped us, huh? (laughs) 
Well, y'all, uh, should we finite and cantatum for now? I think so. I think that's how we should end every podcast from here on out. Okay, we could do it on three. We could say it together. Yes. <laughs> Shall we? Should sure. we give it a shot? Let's it won't try. be perfect the first time. And it'll just be like in Final Fantasy VII when you're doing those presses and you miss it 17 times in a row if you're me. <laughs> so, okay. One, two, three. Finite incantatum. All right. Room for growth there. Room for growth. That <laughs> <laughs> was on purpose. It was that, yeah. that was uh, Weasley twinsing it right there. Yeah, yeah. Peeves got in. Peeves, Peeves, who was afflicting us earlier. And oh yeah, listeners, you're gonna have like four, four conversations. And Wes, you can hear these too. I'm gonna put the outtakes of Sarah and I just sort of riffing for one to four <laughs> minutes, uh, waiting on you. And then we're problem solving. And like my intros got sketchier and sketchier <laughs> as I as I lost faith in your ability to get here. But eventually, we came up with a different way. And then you were there and. Right. Well, it was magic. Yeah. And you started in media race. It was magic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, until next time. All right. Take it easy. See ya. Bye. Welcome back to Potter's Pockets, episode 11 on um, <laughs> chapters 9 through 11. If I sound very hesitating as I start here. We've had some technical issues so far, and so we're just now waiting to see whether Wes Shantz will be able to connect. And so something the listeners should know is that just as the students at Hogwarts are imperfect in their magical capabilities, so are we imperfect in our technological innovations at this point. Do we have you two here, Miss Sarah Miller and Mr. Wes Shantz? I'm here. That's good. We have a major piece of the puzzle. But we're having trouble getting Wes, huh? I wonder what that could mean. Because he recorded something earlier. Perhaps we'll have to, we'll have to, like, Hermione and Harry figure out what's happened to Ron or something here. We've become, we'll become mystery detectives of our own sort. Perhaps reality will parallel fiction in this case. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did we, he, we he all... recorded earlier today? Yeah, he recorded earlier. He he had a really good episode. I think it's episode twenty-eight on Earthbound, and he talked about music and he's relearning music. And I really wanted to ask him about that because he's been thinking a lot about flow lately, and sent me a actually sent me an article on flow in ants. And so I was interested in his take on magic and flow. Okay. And. Uh, Maybe we'll have him listen to all these segments afterwards so that he can and just have him call in and address them all uh, individually. Um, <laughs> Is there a way for him to call us? Yes, but it would be on his show then, so it would be in a different place. Oh. Yeah, yeah, but but I hope that that becomes a real option because since we're co-hosts, it would be nice if our shows could exist on each of our platforms. Hmm. Yeah, maybe we need to create a separate account so that the yeah. the account itself is the show. And then anybody, each of us would have like login capabilities to call the other, don't you think? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. That sounds like a good idea. We'll just have to, yeah, just put a little bit of thought into that and make it happen. Um, all right. 
I'm going to hang up now and we can check out back in with Wes. Uh, okay. I can try, I can try turning off my phone and turning it back on as well. And, um, I mean, I find that like 80 to 90% of technology issues are solved by that, but yeah, Brett, that, that seems, yeah. And so many things just take a second, Yeah. go reboot, go take a nap. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Bye. Okay. Well, welcome back to Potter's Pockets, episode 11. We are here today with Miss Sarah Miller and Mr. Wesley Shantz. And before we even get into which books we're going to talk about, we might as well introduce our favorite co-hosts, Miss Sarah Miller, Mr. Wesley Shantz. Welcome back. Good to be here. Glad to have you. Let's see if Wes manages to make it this time. If he has the special spell that will unlock the door to this secret chamber. Sort of like... Oh, Wes, did you say lemon drop? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I, I hadn't noticed that parallel before just uh, now having that issue with technology, which is what a having, a, having a passcode or a password or, like well, just being primed to see that it's not only the Chamber of Secrets that is a secret chamber that's being opened, but also, of course, Dumbledore's oh. um, uh, office at the other end so the bottom is reflected in the top and so i guess that old huh. Greek, uh uh who's like austere it's like stars above and stars below and heaven above and stars below and the the unions it's a favorite sort of idea they have that's both alchemical and christian the idea that the father is reflected in the son just as god is reflected in man and so you can find the deepest truths sort of like a Buddhist master or idea of a Buddhist master and the smallest physical things or the smallest choices, the smallest mm -hmm. moments in life that these patterns reflect. Um, but that's a very philosophical start. And I might as well say that we're talking about Harry Potter's chamber of secrets, Harry Potter two and uh, chapters seven, eight and nine. So how are you two doing? No, no, no. We're, we're doing chapters nine, 10 and 11. Oh, excuse me. Nine, 10 and 11. That's an excellent uh, correction. And so it's good that we have our Hermione here for when Harry and Ron just don't get it straight. Present. Uh, <laughs> and so, so we, we thought, or I was, I was wondering whether I could ask you three questions today at the least, and we can talk about whatever else we want to too, because I think that Dumbledore and Chamber of Secrets uh, connection is potentially interesting, especially because he's represented by two images of the divine, both a Griffin, which is a, a dantistic image of, uh, Jesus, but also a phoenix, which is that which, you know, dies and then comes to be again. Um, Jesus. Yes, right, exactly. <laughs> a resurrecting thing that keeps coming back. Right. And, you know, and it's like, yes. Okay. So we wanted to talk a little bit about that potentially. We also want to talk about the rogue bludger and what that means. And I had sort of hypothetically said that I thought that might be the presence of negative public attention or public mm. opinion of a person and how that can actually hurt them um, and their lives. Um, also, we wanted to talk about Gilderoy Lockhart, of course, showing his prowess again in magic and uh, disarming his, uh, Harry. And we were talking about how that potentially meant something like, I don't know. Um, we'll talk about it. In a, or it, And how it's related uh, to dueling, I think. Oh, that's a really great point. And then... What was the last point that we wanted to talk about? Uh, 
it would oh professor bins and what we learn about the chamber of secrets through his um interrupted lecture but also like what follows that um I don't know. I think in, in like at the end of chapter nine, the writing on the wall, and then the end of chapter eleven, there's like a lot of suspicion about Harry. Um, right, right, and and a little bit of foreshadowing too, in that he uh, he has shown face to face with a snake, mm-hmm. and we see Ron's fear of live spiders, perhaps suggesting that we're going to come face to face with well and. Coming face to face to with the snake, Harry was doing that during practice and dueling, suggesting that this was just a practice bout, and that when he sees the snake again, it's going to be far more serious business mm-hmm. with more on the line. Um, but yeah, I wanted to ask you all about Professor Ben's first. So he is a history professor that died and then just continued to teach as a ghost and is never interrupted because he's so boring that everybody falls asleep. And Wes said that he identifies with that professor, just like he <laughs> identifies with Neville Longbottom. Sarah, it looks like we don't have Wes again. No, I don't think we do. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I went that long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, let's just, let's try it one more time. I, I'll, I, I'll try and call him. Just on. I'm, he just texted and said. Am I called? No, he said, I can see the notification, but every time he clicks on it, the app crashes. Oh, um, okay. I actually know what this might be. Uh, here, I'll text you both, but can you try and uh, um, update the app? Because I updated mine like two days ago. So there might just be an update. Mine, I don't. Mine just like auto updates, but okay. I'll check. Yeah, thank you. We thank you. Start it's, <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably on his, yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully that works. All right, see ya. Well, well, it's 11. Today we're going to be talking about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, chapters 9 through 11. A couple topics we might get to are Professor Benz's interruption, uh, what the rogue bludger means, and what it means for Gilderoy Lockhart to have disarmed one of his students. But before we get into that, let's uh, now welcome our esteemed co-hosts, Miss Sarah Miller and Mr. Wesley Shantz. Welcome. Greetings. Well, it's great to hear from you now. Is Wes on yet? Not just yet. Uh, Looks like he's not there yet. So maybe we're just going to have to wait till the magic starts with him. Maybe we'll have to start the magic without him for the moment. Who knows? Um, So, Miss Sarah Miller. Have you? Oh, yeah. Go on. I was just going to say, it might be worth uh, reminding him that he has to check his notifications to get a phone call. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Just as you know, at the beginning of a school year, it's best not to make assumptions about what we do remember and what we don't, but rather just lay things out clearly. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good idea. Um, we can start over. Yeah. We can include this as a, as like a blooper clip. As an outtake. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's funny because outtakes, people love when things go wrong and people admit it. Right? Like Jackie Chan movies at the end. <laughs> I mean, that makes me appreciate how incredible he is because of how many times he like messes this up and then gets it right. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to, I'll text again, make sure he's ready. And then we'll, we'll get back here. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye. <laughs> 